Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners now, and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, seat of wisdom, pray for us. Name the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Good evening, my dear people, to our Wednesday evening talk. And we continue looking at the liturgical spirituality of Dom Gerard Calvé, founder and first abbot of the Abbey of Le Beru. And we were looking at yesterday, uh, rather last week, um, at the first of his uh, conferences to the novices. And I want to look at the second conference that's been published in this book, you remember, The Sacred Liturgy. Um, and then we may go on to look a bit more deeper at uh, his writings on liturgy in general. So for the next few weeks we're going to concentrate on uh, the liturgy from the lens of a monk. We've looked quite a bit at the theology of Joseph Ratzinger, his theology of the liturgy. And here we have, yes, another way of looking at the same theology, I would say, but in the sense of liturgy as spirituality. Last week's uh, talk concerned Dom Gerard's conference on prayer, how the prayers of the Missal, especially the collects of the Missal, can become our daily prayer, can, uh, uh, of course, they sum up the prayer of the church for a particular day, but also we can make them our own prayers throughout the day. Just like in the bravery, we have the collect, which is said at Mass, and it's, this collect is, is the main prayer, or a ratio, at the end of the Divine Offices, from uh, Matins until Vespers inclusive. So this evening we're going to look at another conference of Dom Gerard to his novices and this one is entitled The Whole of Our Existence is a Liturgical Action. And this of course uh, has set a certain resonance with uh, the theology of Joseph Ratzinger as you'll probably notice. So let us begin. The whole of our existence is a liturgical action. You have asked me, says Dom Gerard, what kind of place is to be accorded to the liturgical life in our monasteries. I can reply without hesitation that it should be the chief place. Remember, St. Mary, it says in his road that nothing should be preferred to the work of God, the Opus Dei, that is the liturgy. The liturgy, says Dom Gerard, is for us a kind of daily resurrection. Thus, when the monk, on the morning of his profession, remember, monastic profession, he prostrates full length on the ground. Here's the chanted cry of the deacon. Surge qui donris et exurge qui mortuis et illuminabit te Christus. 
Arise you who sleep and come forth from the dead, and Christ will enlighten you. He reaches out and touches that source of energy in the liturgy to which the first Christian generations adhered with all their being. The rest of us too, as monks, find here the whole of our spirituality. And that is, this is why, properly speaking, there is no Benedictine spirituality. The monk is a man fashioned inwardly and outwardly by the liturgy. It is this fact which makes our own practice of religion so ample, so universal, so accessible to our contemporaries. This, of course, if you remember last week, you talked about um, that the early Christians nourished their lives on the, the, the Holy Mass and on the liturgy on the Psalms. And for the monk, that's a very important source of nourishment. Of course, in addition to the daily reading, the Lexio Divina, the monks are particularly quite austere and strict contemplative monasteries, spend a lot of time in Lexio. So we'll continue with the text. The idea that the sacred rites and words of the liturgy were in themselves nourished enough for the soul and to sure enough it guide to the heights of mystical experience without our needing to immerse ourselves in the spiritual treatise and theories elaborated in modern times is one that lasted for 16 centuries, during which time the fundamental character of Western spirituality was shaped. To the degree that we remain faithful to this inspiration, we join hands again with the first Christians. With them we look to the heavenly Jerusalem. With them we play on that instrument, which is the human body, hands, eyes, voice, the bending of the knee, um, the bowing of the head. St. Augustine uh, said, the affection of the heart is fostered by the gestures that render it. You remember that um, Joseph Ratzinger talked about um, the importance of gesture and how God uses gesture, uh, well, permits it, and because we worship God with our bodies as well as our souls, and that the, the external forms also display the interior forms. Well, that's here what Don Gerard is speaking about. And he says, of course, about these gestures, you know, that they foster what's in the heart. He says, provided, of course, that those gestures retain their original purity and meaning. If you go into a monastery, you'll see, especially, for example, during after the Psalms, each after each Psalm is the Gloria Patri, the glory be to the Father. And you see the a deep bow is made, which symbolizes uh, it's an act of worship. It symbolizes com the complete giving of the person to the Blessed Trinity and acknowledging of, of, of the divinity of, of God, that we are, are the, uh, God's creatures. Christendom rose upon the divine 
Christendom rose upon the human race like a dawn in the sky of history because the Christian soul, intent upon the religious right, constantly saw the supernatural out of the natural. The link between signifier and signified was a living one. Every gesture actualized faith. Nothing was lacking to the education of others in the faith. All this gave human life a certain nobility. Everything was a rhythm and a rite and a ceremony. So ceremonies, rites, gestures are all very important. In the ages of faith, says uh, Dom Gerard, the Christian child grew up amid a multitude of human rights that spoke to him of the invisible world as clearly as the motorway sign points out to us the direction we are to take. And that is there to prevent us too, a tiny group of monks in the great liturgical tradition, from absorbing into our being a sense of the real truth of symbols. What is to prevent this? Sometimes we do things even like make the sign of the cross, but perhaps do it haphazardly. Perhaps we genuflect haphazardly. And perhaps we ought to think again about how do we make those beautiful gestures which externalise our, our, our inward devotion and also as human beings we worship externally the external things. If we ask, says um, Dom Girard, what place the liturgy has in our monastic life, we answer with the voice of tradition that it is the whole existence of the monk and even, why not, that it makes up the whole of Christian life which should be a liturgical reality. A monk's whole life will be nourished, illuminated and governed by the rhythms of the sacred liturgy. That's an interesting thought, is it not, for, for those of us who live in the world? Um, to what extent are our lives governed by the rhythm of the sacred liturgy? Okay, we might not be monks or nuns in enclosed monasteries. But what, to what extent does liturgy nourish our, sacred, our spiritual lives and lead us in, uh, in our prayer life towards God? We have, says Dom Gerard, a very impoverished notion of baptism if we think of it only as a kind of entrance ticket to heaven. We must go beyond this poverty-stricken idea which is really derived from Protestantism. For the Protestants, says Dom Gerard, the sacrament is inefficacious in itself, no more than a legal title to the future life. Recall instead these decisive words from sacred scripture. But you are come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the company of many thousands of angels. And again, now therefore, 
You are no more strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens of the saints and domestics of God. These quotations were from Hebrews and from the supported Ephesians. And this is Dovjara, which is perhaps the finest of all the texts from the epistles uh, of St. Paul. And we are all beholding the glory of the Lord with open face, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. It is from within a liturgical perspective that our own abbot, Domo Romain, said to his monks one Christmas evening, we are made for the holiest and most solemn things. We are made so that we may unceasingly move forward on the side of God. This is so much as to say that consecrated souls cannot henceforth behave other than in obedience to the new dignity. Let me just repeat that quotation again um, from uh, former abbot of Onkalkat, a monastery of the same congregation as Domshara. We are made for the holiest and most solemn things. We are made so that we may unceasingly move forward on the side of God. God is our, our ultimate end, no matter what may happen. And that's a thought that should sustain us and inform our daily actions. There's nothing stilted or artificial about this, says Dom de Chira. Something within there must inevitably express the nobility that's it, within the consecrated souls, must inevitably express the nobility of the state. Something within them must translate itself, even into bodily gesture and carriage. You would remember the chapter for the ferial office of Known, that's the afternoon office. You have been brought, bought with a great price. Glorify God and bear him in your body. Glorificate e portate Deum in corpore vestro. And is it not in great part thanks to the singular education of the monastic obedience that you began little by little to change what you have, have habitually been? Is it not the case that the service of the altar and the discipline of choir very rapidly exert an influence upon your soul and your body? There's a monk uh, Benedictine monk who once said, it is the, the monotony that keeps me going. Doing the same things, in other words, every day, getting up early, going to choir, praying long hours in choir, and meditating, reading the scriptures, working, um, going to the refectory, day in, day out. Um, it becomes a, a part of you. It's a set, it gives a, your life a certain rhythm. And all these moments are opportunities for grace. Is it not the case, says Dom Gerard, that the service of the altar and the discipline of the choir, indeed, if I repeat, I repeat this, 
may rapidly exert an influence upon your soul and your body. Instantly, when the bell for office is heard, see with what gravity you must pass down the nave, with what recollection you greet one another, turn towards the altar and lose yourself in adoration at the Gloria Patri. And will all this cease when you cross the threshold of the chapel again to go to your work? Certainly not. Rather, the whole of your life will, as it were, be within the cloud of incense and will unfold in the presence of God and the angels. The whole of your life will have about it the holiness of offertory and consecration. And so the life of the monastery itself unfolds in one great liturgical procession in which the soul pours itself out in secret, silent offering. So the liturgy is something that pours over, if you like, the, the cup that floweth over into uh, all the other aspects of our lives. And it should not only be true of monks, it should be true of all Christians. The humblest of tasks, says Dom Gerard themselves, have also imprinted upon them uh, the marks of the liturgy, since they begin and end with the sounding of the bell for choir. Our labours, alas, are not always as enthralling as all that, but performed in union with our Lord, who laboured at home in Nazareth, they can come to be a profound and mysterious liturgy. The words of Pascal seem very appropriate, French philosopher. Do the little things as though they were great things, remembering that the majesty of Christ within us works them and lives our life, and do the great things as though they were no more than little things easily done, remembering the power of Christ within us. Do the little things as though they were great things. This brings to mind, I think, the spirituality of St. Therese of Lisieux, and a great Carmelite saint who, if you like, developed her little way of spiritual childhood. And again, there to do the little things could be great moments of grace. We see, uh, says uh, Dom Gerard, then why it is that the church is not the only place of worship within a monastery but that rather the whole monastery, including all the lowliest outbuildings, is such a place. In times past, it was always the refectory that, that most evidently resembled the church with its formal vaulting and the prayer chanted before and after meals with the community assembled together in its proper hierarchy this vis this clearly visible this is clearly visible in the seating arrangement. Usually you have the abbot at the top, the prayer and the sub prayer, and then in accordance with your I think with your date of entry in the monastery, you're seated in a certain way. 
the reader at his lectern reading without a break, rector turner. Some, some book to nourish the spirit as the body paused for refreshment. So there is actually a great connection between the church and the refectory. In the church is a spiritual food, and of course in the refectory is bodily food, but also the parallels with, uh, if you like, the liturgy. There are certain rituals which uh, take place, especially with some monasteries, for example, like the Carthusians, they only, most weeks, they're only together in the refectory once a week because they eat in their private cells and they usually wash their fingers and dry them in a towel as a sign of outward purification. It reminds us of the lavabo, does it not, in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass? And the priest concludes the offertory um, rites and includes the washing of his fingers that he's entered, that he needs greater purification as he comes to the threshold, if you like, of the most, the holiest part of the Mass, which, of course, is the canon of the Mass, which is at the centre of the Mass. The monastic uh, habit is also itself a school of prayer which disciplines the movements of the body. The professed monk during the course of any ceremony is always clothed in his cowl, in his choir robe. I'll just show you that picture again. He's just, this monk here has just made his solemn vows. This is at the Abbey of Libero. And uh, just, uh, there's a couple of hand, pair of hands reaching out just to adjust uh, his hood. So that's the long uh, choir uh, habit of a Benedictine monk. Uh, called the cow. It's the choir habit. Um, and Don Gerard says, as you know, on his last day, the monk is laid to rest in the earth, enveloped in his cow, to await the resurrection of the dead. The ritual surrounding the monastic cow is uh, composed of many layers of symbolic meaning. It is the image of the wedding garment which prefigures for us that final clothing in heavenly glory. Again, it expresses the state of forgiveness and the grace of the Son reconciled with his Father. We're thinking maybe back to the prodigal son here, I'm not sure. And how sweet and gentle a thing it is to know oneself at peace with one's Father. The black cow signifies a man bereaved of all the joys of the earth, and signifies also watching in the night, burial, expectant waiting of a soldier or servant. It's interesting how clothing, especially in the Middle Ages, clothing was very symbolic um, of your status in life, who you were. And this is sort of carried on you know, various occupations, of course, you can recognise a postman, or hopefully you can recognise a postman, a policeman, and so forth. Um, we've, we've got to get back to that notion of the importance of how we clothe ourselves, and also modesty, that we're temples of the Holy Spirit. The monastic cloister, says Don Gerard, is a holy place to walk in, 
is the cloister at Leberu. Hushed in silence leads nowhere. It is a piece it is of a piece with the circular contemplation which Dennis the Areopagite speaks. And the final end of this never ceasing contemplation is an escape to the heaven above. Upwards and not forwards, a spiritual and not an earthly overtaking, for our God lives in inaccessible light. There is not a single word, not even the, the most prosaic, which does not take on a sacred character, thanks to the parsimonious use we make of words and the ritual we observe of beginning to speak. The monk puts his finger before his lips and waits for a sign from the superior to indicate that he may speak. The sign, the word benedicite, aligns the words of ordinary speech with the words of benediction, which we find in the canticles of the Divine Office. How strange a command this is, one may speak only to bless. Many times you ask me what is the secret of being able to live always in a state of prayer, um, always in the presence of God. The answer is a simple one. Think of your whole life as a single great sanctified liturgical action. Every part of it will then have its value because everything is done in union with Christ and in the sight of God the Father. In this way, all our actions will be bound together in the deep unity. As St Paul says, whether you eat or whether you drink, do all for the glory of God. The monk finds unity within himself and consequently not only within himself, but within the rest of the created order. How important, my dear brothers, the silence, especially in a very noisy world of today. So maybe it's good to reflect to what extent can silence have a role in my life. It might not be that easy. You might have 10 children, for example. But even in the midst of noise, there can be that sort of spiritual silence. It's not just the, silence isn't just the absence of noise. It's a certain um, a wakefulness for God. Um, and certainly the, the absence of sound or the minimalization of sound can help us uh, be more alert. So let us continue with the text. For if the liturgy uh, of the church impregnates all our actions, it does not do so by isolating us behind walls that separate us from the rest of the world. Liturgy is something which is connected with our daily life. Certainly we have chosen to close our eyes to the allurements of the world and here, of course, remember Dom Gerard speaking to monks. But it is the miracle of the liturgy that it, that it enables us to bring the created order together in a whole, in a great effort of transfiguration. 
which is the work of sacred poetry. One cannot live without poetry. At any rate, the church has decided we shall not have to. She's placed upon our lips some of the finest poetry written to make of us the priests and poets of the sacrifice of praise. Busset, in a famous passage, locates man's priestly function at the heart of his calling as a duty that cannot be abandoned. Man is to give a voice, an intelligence, a heart on fire with love to the whole of the visible creation, so that in its turn, through him and by means of him, creation will love the invisible beauty of its creator. This is why man is set in the middle of the world, a working synopsis of it, a great world within the little world, because while by his body is enclosed in his world by his spirit and his heart, he is greater than it. In contemplating the whole of the universe, drawing it into himself, he offers it, sanctifies it, and consecrates it to the living God. Man is made the contemplator and the mysterious synopsis of all the variety of visible creation, so that through nature, by his holy love, he may be the priest and adorer of the invisible and create intellectual creation. That's from Busset's sermon for the Feast of the Annunciation from 1662. By this priestly function uh, can only come can only come to completion in Christ. For he alone can save, rule, and take upon himself and lead that creation which flowed from him into space in the first days of Genesis, to its proper end. St. Gregory of Nazianzen, in a sermon on the baptism of our Lord, describes Christ coming out of the water and in a certain way drawing the world after him and raising it to himself. And here the Peter the Venerable, whose abbot of Cluny, also witnesses to the sense of Christ, the enlightener of the world, uh, in this splendid invocation. Christe Dei Splendor, qui splendida cuncta creati, Kyrie eleison. Christ, the splendor of God, who has created all things in splendor, have mercy on us. You have, says Don Gerard, in these great examples set before you, all that is necessary to enable you to accomplish by prayer this task of you re re reuniting all things under the sceptre of Christ. The monk, whether or not he is a priest, should think of his vocation as a great spiritual adventure. Every morning and every day that, dawn, that dawns open for him a blank page, 
in which he would write the poem of his life. You could truly say with the psalmist, my heart has uttered a good word. I speak my works to the king. My tongue is the pen of a scrivener that writes swiftly. Psalm 44. His zeal in praising and in honouring God will indeed make of his whole life a single, uninterrupted chant. And this chant will lead him to advance in virtue, while his spiritual advance will in turn lead him to sing the glory of his Lord all the more. The reciprocity or rather this reciprocity was the plan of the life of the Benedictines of Cluny, you know, the, the continual praise of God. And they found it perfectly expressed in one of the best known prayers of the Missal. Goliam Dei Sempiternam et proficiendo celebrare et celebrando proficere. By spiritual advance, the monk celebrates ever better the eternal glory of God and by celebrating it he advances in sanctity. And here um, Don Jura concludes the conference with, with a sort of prayer um, and he mentions St. Francis of Assisi in this prayer which is enough. He says, O sacred liturgy, honour of the church, you who have inspired so many works of art and poetry, who inspired St. Francis, the little pauper, to sing the glory of his Lord and the roads of the world, you who put upon our lips the song of the elect and govern our steps on the path to heaven, you who banish from our hearts all impurity and entice them towards the good that is invisible, we swear faithfulness to you until death, and even beyond death, in that paradise of inexpressible splendour, some part of which you open to us here. Well, thank you, my dear brethren, for listening, and I, I hope that conference will inspire you uh, to consider the role of the liturgy in, in your life. Liturgy, of course, is the praise of God. That's the first and foremost, the adoration of God, and pouring out our love, our thanksgiving, our prayer and our petition, and our praise, indeed. But also, prayer is, some, is a prayer which is continuous in our, in our own lives. Our whole life is joined with the liturgy and becomes an act of worship. It's not just monks who are called, do this. We're all called in our own vocations to making uh, our, our life a praise of God as the Carmelite mystic Saint uh, Elizabeth of the, the Blessed Trinity would say, praise of God. Let us conclude this evening's uh, talk with a prayer and next week we'll continue on with the liturgical spirituality of Dom Gerard. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. 
Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.